Good day, my friends, and welcome to another moment. Yes, another Black History Moment with Bo. And I think today is going to be a marvelous day for you. And you know why? Because you tuned me in. And it doesn't make any difference if you're here in Arizona, if you're in Bell Fountain, Ohio, if you're in Delaware, Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, Akron, Ohio, Philadelphia, PA, or in the state of Alabama, you want to hear what I have to say, because deep down, you know I speak the truth to you. Some people say that I am obsessed with this podcast, and I am, because I realize the word obsessed is used by the lazy people to describe the dedicated. And I am dedicated. And there's only two things right now in my life that I am dedicated to. And that is my marriage and this program. So if you should happen to be a new listener, I ask you to please stay around. I guarantee you, you will like what you hear. I'll tell you some things that will make you sad, and I'll tell you some things that'll make you mad. But above all else, I will tell you the truth. And I won't take all day about it. And you know something, my friends, I can't believe I've lived long enough that I am being fact-checked by 20-year-old boys with man buns, skinny jeans, and nose rings that don't even know who bombed Pearl Harbor. And just remember, truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. So stick around for a little while. And like that great musical group of the 70s war said, we're gonna slip into darkness where truth is hidden. After the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was passed, segregation was supposedly ended in much of the South, but it hadn't changed the attitude and the minds of some of the white citizens. Many blacks were still persecuted and discriminated against by whites. One of these great upstanding persons was a guy by the name of Harry Floyd, and he owned an all-star bowling triangle bowling alley in Orangeburg, South Carolina. And he claimed his bowling alley was exempt from segregation laws since it was private property. But Orangeburg's black community was determined to fix that. Now, in Orangeburg, there was two mostly black universities, South Carolina State and Chaplin University. Now, this created a... (laughs) a heck of a problem for whiteness in Orangeburg because it meant that there was more educated blacks than in some other southern states. And many of these students became involved in the civil rights movement and were determined to turn the tide of racism in that small town and beyond. Black leaders tried time and time again to convince Floyd to integrate his bowling alley, but he refused because he said it would offend his longtime clientele. And you know what happened on February the 5th, 1968, a small group of students from both 
South Carolina State, and Chaflin went to the all-star bowling lanes to protest its whites-only policy. And good old boy Floyd refused them entry, and they left peacefully. But word of Floyd's refusal spread across both college campuses like wildfire. And the next night, a larger crowd returned to the bowling alley, and they were met by police who threatened to blast them with water from fire hoses. The students fought back by taunting them and lighting matches. A plate glass window was broken, and the police began beating the students, male and female, with billy clubs. There was one protester by the name of Emma McLean who said that she remembered feeling the sense of pain when they were beating her. It was almost like they were trying to teach her a lesson or something because they were all unarmed. By night's end, 15 students had been arrested and at least 10 students and one police officer were treated for injuries. Tension grew with whiteness as word spread about the bowling alley. Expecting violence and looting, some store owners did what they do best. They grabbed their guns and their ropes. All the while, while Governor Robert McNair, who was supposed to be one of the more moderate governors of the Deep South, insisted that black power leaders were inciting the students' unrest and called the National Guard, tanks and all, to intimidate the students and squelch the anticipated violence. Tanks in the city. Now just imagine this. Tanks rolling down the city, arming their guns at black unarmed students. All of this simply because whiteness did not want to share equality in a freaking bowling alley. The students were joined by a protester by the name of Cleveland Sellers, and he was a native South Carolinian and a civil rights activist. And he graduated from Howard University in 1967, and he returned to South Carolina with the goal of teaching students about black history. And because of his activism, it put him on the governor's radar and earned him a reputation as a black militant. On February the 8th, sellers and hundreds of students gathered on South Carolina State campus to protest racial segregation at the bowling alley and other privately owned establishments. Now take into consideration, my friends, the civil rights law had already been passed, but a federal law meant nothing to these people. National Guard troops and a heavy law enforcement presence commanded by Chief Pete Strom were also there under orders to keep the protesters on campus and prevent them from inciting a riot. And you know they were packing shotguns and buckshot. The students taunted law enforcement and threw rocks and other objects at them. They started a large bonfire in front of the campus entrance. And Strum ordered that the fire be put out. And as the firefighters were extinguishing the fire, a police officer was struck with a heavy wooden banister. Not knowing what was happening and claiming that they had heard gunshots, some police raised their guns and opened fire in the darkness upon the black unarmed students for several seconds. 
and in horror and terror, students scrambled to escape. And when the smoke cleared, my friends, three students were shot and killed by the police. Over and over it happens. Sammy Hammond was shot in the back. 17-year-old high school student Delano Middleton, whose mother worked at South Carolina State, was shot seven times. An 18-year-old Henry Smith was shot three times. At least 28 protesters were shot and wounded, mostly in the back or side as they fled the assault. Sellers was shot in the armpit. And you know it, Sellers was taken into custody at the hospital and charged with inciting a riot. They also claim Sellers took advantage of America's fear of black power and fired up students who would never have stage resistance on their own. While Governor McNair also blamed the incident on black power agitators. Here's a killing part to this story, my friends. The Orangeburg Massacre happened within days of the Tet Offensive in the Vietnam War, and because of that was largely ignored by the press. In addition, some press coverage was incorrect. The Associated Press initially reported that the student protesters had been armed, fired first, and exchanged gunfire with police officers. This was a bold-faced lie although some officers later stated that they'd heard small arms fire and believed they were being shot at before shooting into the crowd in self-defense. It's always fear for their life in self-defense. The black community was pissed at the slaughter and the lying bad press, and many of us took to the streets in protest and demonstrated in Columbia, South Carolina's capital. Civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. sent a telegram to President Lyndon B. Johnson stating that the deaths in Orangeburg lie on the conscience of Chief Strom and the government of South Carolina. The head of the NAACP traveled to Orangeburg to challenge the media's portrayal of the confrontation. Out of at least 70 armed police officers on the scene of the Orangeburg massacre, just nine were charged with shooting at the protesters. The federal government brought them to trial for imposing summary punishment without due process of law, even though U.S. Attorney General Ramsey Clark stated the officers had lost their self-control and committed murder. At the trial, you know what happened. The officers testified that they'd acted in self-defense despite no solid evidence to support their claims, and all the men were acquitted. Now, Sellers wasn't so lucky. He was brought to trial in September 1970, but the state couldn't prove he incited a riot at South Carolina State on the night of February the 8th. But the judge, however, allowed the state to charge him with rioting at the bowling alley instead, and he was convicted and sentenced to one year of hard labor. He was released after seven months. A permanent felony record. And the Howard University 
degree. And after Seller's conviction, the state of South Carolina effectively closed the book on the Orangeburg Massacre, despite no one being held accountable for the students killed and injured that night. The lack of justice and conflicting accounts of what had happened inflamed a racial divide between black and white residents of Orangeburg. Even many historians have largely left the incident out of the civil rights articles and educational textbooks. Survivors of the Orangeburg Massacre were determined the deaths of Hammond Middleton and Smith would not be in vain. And in 1999, many joined with the white Orangeburg residents and called for healing in the community. In 2003, Governor Mark Sanford offered a written apology for the massacre. In 2006, Cleveland Sellers' son, Bakari, was elected to the South Carolina legislature. Speaking with emotions at the South Carolina State Memorial Service to honor those lost in the massacre, he said, We join here today in our own memorial to remember three dead and 27 injured, and yet another massacre that marked yet another people's struggle against oppression. These men who died here were not martyrs to a dream, but soldiers to a cause. And despite official government apologies, most survivors of the Orangeburg Massacre feel South Carolina continues to suppress knowledge of what really happened. More than 50 years later, they are still haunted by the carnage that took place and vow to continue to honor the victims and work to bring the truth to light to prevent a repeat of the tragedy. That's all we want the truth to come to the light and out of the darkness. My friends, the event known as the Orangeburg Massacre is one of the most violent episodes of the civil rights movement, yet it remains one of the least recognized. You have to wonder why. My friends, are things really changing for us? They say it is, but if it is, it is on an extremely slow track. And for the damnedest, I can't figure out why. Technology and education has bloomed, but equality is still at a standstill. We all know what that music means. It means that it's time for me to get out of here. But before I go, you know I got a message for you. Malcolm X said, The truth can cost you your life. That's why so many people are afraid to speak it. And it cost him his. Newcomers, I hope you like our little program today. And come back again. And have a great day, my friends. Until next time, it's been my pleasure. And most of all, it's been my honor. <laughs>